Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey y'all, this is Josiah Gray and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat, the trashiest Nationals show, the one your mother warned you about, and the one your father locked behind parental controls. I am Nick. You can follow me on Twitter at the Coach Moose. I am joined by my good friend Ryan at We Are All Shack. You can be sure to give him a follow as well, and of course, follow the show. Very trashy at Half Street High Heat. Ryan, what's going on? However, um, doing good. You know, uh. I'll bring up since Amanda is not with us tonight, the NHL lottery oh, tonight. Amanda would bring it up. And she, the, would. <laughs> she would. She would. Let's pour her, one out. <laughs> in her spirit, we got to bring it up. Taps get the eighth pick. Uh, so, yeah, not great for DC teams. Don't worry. The Wizards will get screwed over and get the ninth pick this week as well. But, yeah, other than that, things are good, man. And then the Nats are going to get, what, 10th, 11th pick? Uh, yeah, in 2024 we're just gonna be not the the pillar of mediocrity <laughs> lotteries do not like dc teams no not at all not at all i mean to have well i guess we had the same odds as the pirates and the a's this year which is stupid i mean the team with the worst record should have the best odds i think that's just how it should work but i think my team should always get the first pick that too regardless that too because now we have to count on the pirates not making the obvious choice and that's although dylan cruz will be a national don't worry okay a little here's our here's our quick pitch we're gonna quick pitch it would you rather would you rather would you rather the nationals have the first pick and pass on dylan cruz or the nationals have the second pick and miss on dylan cruz because he goes to the pirates uh, miss on Dylan Cruz because there's nothing worse than false hope. And I don't know what I would do if this team had the first <laughs> pick and went under slot and didn't take <laughs> arguably the best prospect there to draft since Bryce Harper entered the draft. I, I don't I don't know what I would do. I, I think I think I'd be burning stuff in the streets. That, I wouldn't that... because my jerseys are expensive and I, <laughs> and I like them. But I would be very upset. I'd be burning someone else's jerseys. <laughs> That's the thing that kills me with the draft and Cruz and Skeens and I mean even Langford are, are are very good and I'm very excited to to have one of them on the team or at least in the organization. But the thing that's killing me is like it, I mean, it's mainly with Cruz and, and Skeens in particular. It's like oh they're the best prospects since so and so. Like with Skeens, it's like oh he's the best prospect since Cole and Strasburg. 
well, at the start of the college season, it was like, oh, Chase, Chase Dollander is the, the best prospect in Strasburg. And no one talks about him anymore. So it's, it's just like kind of funny to see how the college baseball season changes narratives. Although Cruz has stayed uh, stayed consistent throughout. He's been the best college bat prospect uh, going into the 2023 draft for two years now. So. He seems legit, but Skeen scares me. But let's, we'll talk about that as we get closer to the draft. We'll get some, you know, Sam Dykstra or someone else from uh, MLB Pipeline to talk talk draft and talk prospects with us. Um, but what's going on? It's been a little bit since uh, since you were on the, the show. How, how have you been consuming your Nationals uh, team over the past couple of weeks? Yeah, you know, since YouTube TV doesn't carry mass in, and, and the audacity to raise their prices. You know, you got to find other ways, but it's kind of fun. Last year, I, I got I to give it to them. Last year, this team was a disaster class. They were very I, bad last year. Oh, my God. There was nothing to look forward to. Watching every game was torture. Michael Franco, C.D. Escobar out there. Ruined my life. Mm-hmm. It was not fun to watch. Nelson Cruz being bad. They traded Soto. There just wasn't hope. Gray was struggling. The rotation was disaster. This team playing a lot better. Granted, that's in relation. That's <laughs> in relation to expectations. They're still in the hundred loss pace, but it's so much better and so much more enjoyable watching a team lose with young guys who actually matter. Look right. at the Diamondbacks here, like which we'll talk here in a second, but. Oh my God, it's such a breath of fresh air this year compared to last year. Yeah, honestly. And I mean, you brought up the, the points right there, um, hit the nail on the head. Like, just with the players we have to watch and root for, like Luis Garcia didn't even start the year up with the big club last year, which I mean, you could argue benefited him this year. I, I don't know. I mean, he's spent portions of 2020 and 2021. With with the big club, I don't know why he wouldn't start. Anyways, um, Cesar Hernandez just had had to get all those abs. Um, I completely forgot about him. Um, but just having those players to root for has made it a lot more um, enjoyable, but also just consumable. Because how much I'm like, oh, the Nats game is on. I want to watch this year has made me realize how much I did not want to watch last year. Like I was insanely checked out after the trade deadline, aside from like a Josiah Gray start here and there. But this team, yeah, they're a little bit uh, easier to watch. That being said, and this is the point I've been making for weeks now, and I'm just going to keep reiterating it. They're playing all these close one and two score or two run games. And we'll talk about that a lot. I was Obviously, as we recap the the past uh, week or so of Nationals baseball, they're playing all these close games and they're losing more than they're winning. And that comes down to management and managerial decisions. Not every single one, but a lot of them. And that's that's what's frustrating right now, because this roster still stinks. If we're being honest, it does. Like you can be an optimist and recognize and acknowledge that this roster still stinks, but they're keeping it close, which is good. And they could be winning more if they had someone kind of steering him in the right direction and pushing the right buttons. Like the, the lineup construction tonight is one of the worst I've ever seen. And I'm not, that's not hyperbolic. It, it makes no sense. There's absolutely no flow 
no thought thought process behind it. But that's just kind of David Martinez for you. So at least uh, the, the product on field is not unbearable to watch. So we will get into our recaps of the past week or so of National Space. But before we do that, Ryan, what else has been going on in baseball? Man, there's been a lot going on in baseball right now. We're a little more more than a month into the season just under 20 percent of the 162 game marathon so far runs are up 14 percent hits are up nine percent batting average is up 15 points league wide steals are up 54 percent and games are 27 minutes shorter the rule changes they continue the rule dale east is home to four teams with at least 21 wins the yankees are not one of them They are 10 games back of the Rays as of this moment, but there is good news for the Yankees as reinforcements are coming. Aaron Judge is set to return to the lineup in a lineup that badly, badly needs help as they are very injured. The Astros are 17 and 17. They have not been 500 or worse this late into a full season since 2016. That's the last time they were not in the ALCS. The Cardinals, the Biggest shock in the league right now. They have the worst record in the NL at 11 and 24. They scored eight runs late to avoid a sweep of the Tigers, sweep to the Tigers, excuse me, and that stopped an eight game skid for them. But the biggest story for them is what's behind the plate. Wilson Contreras. Reports earlier this week came that he is not going to be catching, but Contreras was going to be moving to a full time outfielder. That made no sense because the Cardinals have 15 outfielders on the roster. After a day, they walked that back and said that he will catch in part-time DH, but then they changed that and said he was going to DH full-time. A lot of weird stuff going around. Several hit pieces later, it is very clear that the front office blames Contreras for the pitching rotation struggles, and the pitching staff clearly does not trust him anymore. Things are an absolute mess in St. Louis. It's okay, Cardinals fans. You're only 35 games into a five-year contract with Contreras. To the NL East, in last place are your 14 and 20 Nationals. We'll talk about them in a moment. And fourth are the 16 and 19 Phillies. Things were looking good for them. They're red hot. Bryce Harper was coming back. Then, unfortunately, they ran into wagons. It's May. The Dodgers are back. They're legit. They got swept by the Dodgers, and then they lost two or three to the Red Hot Red Sox, and now they find themselves sputtering again. Thankfully for them, the schedule doesn't get any easier. They now have to play Toronto. Sucks for them. But after that, they get the Rockies, which looks a little bit better. It's time for my personal favorite segment, Keeping Up With The Mets. Crowd goes nuts. In third place are the 17 and 18 Mets. The $500 million Mets are below 500. What a disaster the start of the season has been. The Mets offense, it's great. Top 10 in the league. Problem is, their pitching is doo-doo. Max Scherzer returned from a suspension and gave up five runs to the lowly Tigers. And Verlander returned as well, but that did not matter as they got swept by the Detroit Tigers. Mets then lost 2-3 to the Rockies. Max Scherzer said he is injured and is pitching through a lot of pain, and the only thing he's trying to do is to make sure nothing breaks. They are a disaster. Everyone in Queens hates to see it. Everyone outside Queens, very happy to see it. They get the Reds up next, and I do not know if that they could beat the Reds. They are very bad. In second place, tied for second place, are the 17 and 18 Marlins. 
The Marlins are 11-0 in one-run games. Their pitching staff continues to pitch well. They lost 2-3 to the Cubs and are heading out west to take on the Diamondbacks. And first are the only NLEs team above 500, the 24-11 Braves. Braves had an absolute fantastic weekend series against the O's. They narrowly won 2-3, including a 12th inning walk-off by Michael Harris. They host the Red Sox next, and which will be a very, very fun series. This has been your week in review. The NL East overrated? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, this is a second time in three years that the NL East has just been... It's time, it's, it's time to face it. NL East is overrated. <laughs> um, I can't say I'm like entirely surprised. I mean, it, it also is May, so the results of like, like the win percentage of each NL East club was going to look drastically different i'm sure uh come september but i'm not entirely shocked that the mets are struggling because they well first of all they're relying on two 40 year olds at the start of their rotation i mean that's just asking for trouble granted they were both great pitchers in their prime but neither of them are in their prime anymore even though verlander won the cy young last year um but that was more of the astros factory than anything else uh they're just relying on a lot of guys to kind of overform like mark canna for instance like he was very solid but is he you know an everyday player on a championship team probably not and that you kind of go around and see that like yeah you have lindor yeah you have pete alonzo but after that it's kind of just like you're relying on guys to really overperform and it just seemed like a, a kind of thin uh, thin ice, so to speak, for their season. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, and plus the Braves are just a wagon, so also not surprising. And then the Phillies are Phillies are just an odd team. But the Nats, though, Nats could win the division. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. After after they came back into Diamondbacks, uh, this, this this is the division winning team. We're back. We're back. This team's back. Um, absolutely unreal. Keeper, home run. The next thing you know, they score five runs, they take the lead. This team's won the World Series. I've seen enough. First pitch, Kyle Finnegan, blown save. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll get into it. We're we're gonna start with the Cubs series first um, because that series went a lot better. Um, granted, there were some highlights as Ryan alluded to in the Diamondback series, uh, but the Cubs series. It seems like a lifetime ago at this point. The Cubs series kind of displayed one thing, which I will talk about in the Diamondback series, but one that kind of is a common theme with the better national teams, and that is it goes through pitching. Like, they're not really one to ever outslug anyone else. I mean, obviously, if you look at their 2019 lineup, or even 2018, like that lineup was stacked, but typically the strength has always been the pitching. And when this team specifically does well, this current iteration of the team, it goes through their pitching. That Cub series, they took three of four. And ironically, the one game that they lost was Mackenzie Gore, who, who struggled that game. Um, but Trevor Williams, Jake Irvin, who got the call up with Chad Cool hitting the injured list. And then Patrick Corbin, who I want to kind of start this whole conversation with. The bar is like insanely low. Like I always joke around that the bar is the floor. Like I don't even know how low the the bar was 
for Patrick Corbin. Like the bar is like hell. I, I, like, I don't know. It was insanely low for Patrick Corbin, but it's not even that he ex- exceeded that low bar. He was, dare I say, phenomenal against the Cubs. And, you know, it, it remains to be seen how he'll look on uh, what Wednesday, Tuesday, whatever, against the, the Giants in his next start. But he was essentially through seven perfect innings. Like the one hit he allowed was a sunball that got lost up in the air that C.J. Abrams couldn't see. And then, you know, it landed and it's technically a hit, even though it would have been, you know, an easy pop out in almost any other circumstance. I I just don't even know what to think of Patrick Corbin right now because history, recent history tells me one thing, but over the past four-ish starts, it's better. Is he 2019 Patrick Corbin? No. Is he 2018 Patrick Corbin? Certainly not. But is he better in your mind or will he be better than 2021, 2022 Patrick Corbin? Well, you, it's going to be hard to be worse. That's true. It was honestly, it was kind of shocking watching that start because he could have Maddoxed the Cubs. Again, not trying to be a hater, but mm-hmm. that's more about the Cubs being feeble than it was Patrick Corbin. His last couple starts actually kind of have been rather surprising. Like the fact that he had two quality starts in a row, I don't think he Massive. did that at all in 2021 or 2022. I mean, he was terrible in 2020 as well. He did also really pound the strike zone for what it's worth in the Cubs. He didn't walk a single batter. Yeah, I mean, the Cubs were just swinging at, like... That's also true. Everything, and it worked. You know, mm-hmm. like, this is probably the best defense, infield defense, that Patrick Corbin's had the last two years. I wrote an article about a lot of things that gone wrong with Patrick Corbin. He was the most impacted by bad defense over the last two years. He still wouldn't have been good. He may have been a half a run better in that span, but he is, I think, starting to trust that defense a little bit. And if he can keep pounding the strike zone, just keep throw strikes, trust your dudes, he's gonna keep having better success. It's just so funny because like he has a five two ERA and a one four five whip, <laughs> and like he's just been that bad the last three years. We're like, oh my god, he's he's not terrible this We're year. We're celebrating that, yeah, yeah. And then and then you look at the peripherals of all of his pitches, and you're just like. Oh, <laughs> ne- never mind. But that aside, at the end of the day, results are the only thing that matters. Yes, I'm going to ignore the fact that all of his pitches are just as bad as they've been the last couple of years. This is so, so encouraging to see. Because he's owed 60 mil left, I still need to be better. Like, I like I, I want to give the guy a pat on the back because he's been so bad. But, like, going five innings, giving up three runs, we're at the point with this guy where we're applauding that. And I don't want to, but I will give him two big fat thumbs up against the Cubs. More of that. Just keep pounding the strikes up, man. Like, Yimer's good defensively. Dom Smith, pains me to say, he's been great defensively at first. Abrams and Garcia look like they're they're still working, but it looks like they've kind of turned a corner from the first couple week issues. Garcia has been phenomenal. Abrams, yes, but Garcia has actually been phenomenal, surprisingly, considering what we think of him, you know, right. in general defensively. Right. Just trust your dudes. You know, like, don't trust the guy in right field. <laughs> so just make, <laughs> make sure they hit everything to center or left field. Just make sure Lane Thomas isn't in the ball. And, like, you should you should be good, my man. Yeah, honestly. Um, I, I agree with all your points. It, 
it again, it's just laugh out loud funny to me every single time we discuss Patrick Corbin, how low the bar is. Cause even now it's just like, all right, that's awesome. When he goes five innings and gives up three runs, but you know, we kind of need to, I'm sure we already have, but we kind of need to reframe our ex not expectations, but uh, our wish, I guess from Patrick Corbin to match kind of the rest of ro- the rotation is just go five innings. Like, will kind of make do with whatever the situation is. But typically a lot of the problems with Patrick Corbin is him going two and a third, him going three innings, allowing seven runs like that. You know, you just it's over before it starts it, more often than not in Patrick Corbin starts. Um, but this year it's at least been competitive. Like his ERA is still above five. Like even if you kind of want to get rid of the first couple starts, his ERA is still like pretty close to five, like it's kind of mid fours, which you'll, you'll take comparatively to his last couple seasons. So it is what it is. It's just, you know, we use this word all the time and I I wrote a a game recap for district on deck. I think it was after Saturday's game, like the enigma that is the Washington nationals this year. If you look at every single player in one way or another, they are an enigma. Like why, you know, why is Luis Garcia hitting? Well, I, we know why Luis Garcia is hitting the ball into the ground, but why is his like launch angle going down? Why, you know, is Patrick Corbin the worst pitcher in baseball, but somehow, you know, <laughs> like goes essentially seven perfect innings, you know, like the, this team is such an enigma and they make no sense whatsoever. Like you think you have them nailed down and know what to expect and they do something completely different. Like even if, you know, you were talking about Lane Thomas. We thought Lane Thomas was a very average to slightly above average defensive guy, kind of below average bat to ball skills, but could be very streaky. And like this year, it's like kind of, kind of the complete opposite where it's like he's, you know, hitting for an average, but is complete liability defensively. And uh, it, it's just we we can't get a, a fair read on this national team because they are not playing like consistent at all. So it's just pretty funny to see Patrick Corbin have a start like this for the first time. And it feels like years. I mean, it's honestly probably one of the better starts of his career, like all things considered. Um, but the other kind of well, Trevor Williams is great. I don't want to con- completely gloss, gloss over Trevor Williams because I think he's the easy target to gloss over. Like he's not the five starter, but he's not, you know, as uh, pitchfork inducing as Patrick Corbin. And he's not to the same hype level as Josiah Gray or Mackenzie Gore. But Trevor Williams was phenomenal in the Cubs series. Like he's been very steady for for this team. Kind of wish it was a one year deal. So that way they would be incentivized to trade him at this deadline. But I mean, if he keeps doing what he's doing, like he's serving a purpose. But the other big name are. Uh, kind of notable pitching performance in the Cub series was Jake Urban. Jake Urban, um, the the whole process leading up to that, and that news broke actually lo- on our last episode, um, the whole process leading up to that is still kind of crazy to me. Like you call up Corey Abbott, who made nine starts for you last year, was coming off a start in Rochester where he goes like six innings, strikes out 12 and allows zero runs. And you're thinking, oh, he's a shoe in for you know, that five spot while Chad cool is out and who knows, like he might even stick around past that. And they call him up, 
they decide to pitch him on a Monday for two innings when he's supposed to start on a Wednesday, and then they send him back down. That makes no sense, but hey, whatever. They call up Jake Irvin for his MLB debut. <laughs> what does he do? First batter hits the guy and like hits the guy almost in the head. It was like high shoulder that the guy had to duck duck behind. I think it was Nico Horner of the Cubs. So that was pretty funny. Uh, settled down, struggled with command a little bit, but I think if you're the Nats, you kind of have to like what you saw out of Jake Irvin, and he's getting the start tonight, actually, for the second time through against the Giants as they open the series in San Francisco. But Jake Irvin, four and a third innings, two hits, one run, four walks, like we mentioned, struggle with the command, but three strikeouts. What were your impressions of Jake Irvin in this first start? Yeah, you know, he did kind of exactly what he's done in his minor league career. Like, if you read about him and you read about his pitch types, he has a good fastball, good curveball. That's kind of it. All of his other pitches lack. They're not very good. And I was reading, I was like, all right, looks like his fastball and his curveball should translate. And then there's kind of talks about him as a prospect if he was going to be a starter or a reliever. And the reason was, homie likes to walk people. <laughs> he walks a lot of people. Lot. In the he, he walks a lot of people in the minor leagues. We saw that. He walked four people in four and a third innings. He also hit a guy. You're, you're going to get in some trouble as a starter with that. But it's hard to be anything but pleased with that. Comes up four and a third. Like I said, I think the Cubs are feeble, but he was, he looked good. The fastball and curveball both look great. Both need a little bit of tweaking, which you aren't going to expect with a prospect. But it's hard if you're the Nats to be anything but excited about that. Keep throwing him out there every fifth day. If he struggles, who cares? If the walks keep happening, you're like, all right, maybe we could turn this guy into a pretty, pretty good reliever. But – He's an interesting guy to watch for this team, which is pretty exciting about. Tonight's going to be a good test for him. Giants are struggling this year. But the outfield in – was it? it's Oracle now, right? They, they, they just changed. I can't, it's Oracle, yeah. Yeah, it's Oracle. The, yeah, the outfield in Oracle is massive. So that's going to be very, very interesting to see if that plays a part on him because Robles is out. We already talked about the right fielder. That's going to be very interesting to see um, if he can avoid trouble with that large outfield. But one start, pretty excited, 6.23K per nine through four and a third. I mean, it's hard to say anything but good things about the situation and how he did out there. Yeah, honestly. Um, I do think he's more of a reliever, um, but knowing he can go multiple innings is certainly a, a, a good um tool in your bag of tricks especially if he does stick up with the big club for any period of time um just the fact that he's really only a two pitch pitcher it's going to be really hard for anyone to stick as a starter if you only have two pitches but his pitches are pretty good um so it's like he's a fastball curveball guy mixes in a changeup, but it's not all that consistent or really all that effective but if he can be a reliever, I mean, every team needs relievers and that's something we'll talk about with the Nats as of late in, in their bullpen. But I think Jake Irvin has a spot. Uh, he might need to go back down to triple a for a, a period of time, just to hopefully iron out that uh, command a little bit, because 
walks will kill you as a starter, but it, it they will murder you as a reliever. Like you just cannot walk guys as a reliever, which is ironic considering how the nationals lost one of their more recent games. Um, the final part of that cub series that I, I wanted to talk about it is a pretty low scoring affair. Like it, the, the scores of the game were five, one loss four one win two, one win four, three win. So, you know, we can highlight some of the, the individual performances, but the big one, obviously from that cub series was that final game in the Patrick Corbin start. So he goes through, like I said, essentially seven perfect innings. It's seven, nothing. He goes, I believe it was single, single to start the eighth inning. And he was only at 80 pitches. Davey elects to pull him. I wouldn't have done Ryan. I believe you said at the time you wouldn't have done that either. I mean, if we're saying we wouldn't pull Patrick Corbin, like that kind of says something like (laughs) typically we're always advocating to pull Patrick Corbin and he goes to Hunter Harvey. So like, if you're going to turn the ball over to someone, uh, I don't know that there was a better option to do so. It was just kind of the big picture, you know, you got to look at the whole situation. It was Harvey's third day in a row pitching. And, you know, considering they were coming off back-to-back wins, like it made sense that you would turn to Harvey in those situations. But relievers typically don't do well when you go to three them three days in a row and Harvey didn't immediately gave up the lead. Um, or at least I, I think it was a 3-0 ball game thanks to a Lane Thomas three-run home run. Um, and Lane, or uh, sorry, Hunter Harvey gave up the two inherited runs and then one of his own as well. So it was a tie ball game, kind of really smudge the Patrick Corbin start. Um, but I mean, he's done that to us plenty of times. So I guess we're, we're starting to get even now, but then you go to the ninth, right? Tie game. What does Davey do? Pitches Kyle Finnegan, which yeah, team's closer, whatever. Also third day in a row or, uh, Kyle Finnegan also really struggles. He somehow gets out of the inning unscathed with a ton of traffic on the bases. If I'm, I don't have his stats in front of me. If you told me Kyle Finnegan's whip is two, I would believe you because he always has runners on base. Um, but the bottom of ninth, first pitch, Alex Cole walk off home run. Um, and it's a bit ironic because on the last episode we were talking about, I think Alex Cole made the the good section when we did the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he had the walk off home run, but over the past week he's kind of stunk again. And it, it is just funny to see how these players flip flop back and forth between having really good stretches and like really, really bad stretches, which is kind of what Alex call has uh, found himself in, but he had the walk-off home run for the Nats first walk-off of the season. Um, Just kind of your general thoughts on the Nats. I don't want to say offense because offense stinks. Like let's be honest, offense stinks, but I guess dare I say the scrappiness of the offense and like doing just enough. Like, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, something that's going to plague this team <laughs> probably since 2005. The, the, uh, honestly, like the, the, yeah, their entire existence. <laughs> yeah. Is situational hitting. Yeah. Situational hitting has absolutely Thank you for bringing it up. plagued this team. It's been an issue. Here's the funny thing. The Nats are a ground ball team. This is a singles team. They they don't hit for power. Like they they don't. Uh, they're 29th in home runs, by the way. I'm pretty sure they're around there for extra base hits as well. This is a singles team. Half those ground balls find a way to get through. 
I don't know how. I don't know how those choppy ground balls they keep hitting find a way to get through. They'd probably be – they're 27th in runs right now. They'd probably be 30th in a long shot if they weren't. But, man, those things keep getting through, and it's so funny because this team will do – this coaching staff will do something stupid, blow it, and then Alex Call, first pitch, will just don't walk off, win it. And then, like, you look at the Diamondbacks series. We talk, we'll talk about it a little bit. We'll talk about more. Five runs in the ninth, they blow it. Next night, you know, Joey Manessis hits a three-run home run. The team, I don't know, man. The team's got that dog at them. <laughs> like, it's not, it's, it's, not a, like, it's not like a pit bull, but it's, it's a dog that you a look at. A dog exists. <laughs> a dog exists within this team. There's, there's a dog in that team right now. It's not a D-A-W-G dog right now, but, oh, my God, for the first time in forever, this team's not terrible at situ- situational hitting. It's so funny. You look at the roster, you're like, oh, my God, this team can't do anything. And then it's like, oh, second, third, no out? We'll, we'll, we'll have them score when I'm next two guys strike out and it's 0-2. We'll hit a little little slow ground ball to get through and score two. Like, they're they're still, like, not – I think they're, like, still below league average in those stats. Oh, no, no. Yeah, they're bad. But, but. <laughs> they might they might be the first in the franchise history because this team it finds a way and it just absolutely cracks me up like i tweeted it this is the funniest team in that's history like this team every single night is just so funny i don't know it doesn't make any sense but i like it it's funny it makes the games entertaining they're sure as hell not boring like they'll they walk 10 guys and they still found a way to win that game those ground balls man they get through maybe maybe coles is on to something no, don't don't go that far. <laughs> um, but it, it is funny because like there is better situational hitting, but like in the grand scheme of things, so, like it's still not that good. It's just like compared to what we've been going through. Like the Nationals are tenth in batting average with runners in scoring position at two sixty four, but they are, I believe, twenty eighth in OPS with runners in scoring position, which like kind of makes sense because they're they're a singles hitting team um so their ops isn't going to be overly high but it's, it's just funny to think about um but if you kind of isolate that to the past seven days or seven games which is what we're talking about they they've been significantly better and a lot of that has to do with the long ball um you know obviously the joey manessas the lane thomas like they've kind of uh gotten going and then even the the kind of usage of chase field and the extra base hits with you know that big outfield you know has kind of bumped up those numbers a little bit but we can kind of get into the diamondback series because that's obviously the theme of the diamondback series for anyone that followed is those comebacks um saturday oh boy saturday was uh a a game that i think i tweeted out like i wouldn't know how to explain that game to anyone if they asked me what happened because it was all over the place you speaking of enigmas like you just didn't know what was going to happen the nat or yeah the, the nats really looked dreadful on offense all game long i think the uh diamondbacks got out to a 6-2 lead it, it was two to one for a while and then they scored one in the six one in the seventh and like three in the eighth so it, it was six two and the Nats are just like, oh, it's the ninth inning. Speaking to to Ryan's situational hitting, 
they're like oh it's it's the ninth inning uh yeah why don't we like start doing something because you are actually allowed to score runs which who knew started off with the Ruiz home run which great to see if the game ended right after that it's like oh well Nats lost six three but Ruiz home run like that's that's a win in our book but then it went <laughs> again to Ryan's point it went strikeout ground out so they were down to two outs and they're still down three runs. It went walk, single, single, which was Alex Call, Michael Chavis, and Ildemar Vargas, of all people. Like it wasn't like Garcia and, and Manessis and like your Candelaria, like the core of your lineup. It was your bench guys all of a sudden producing. So it went walk, single, single to make it six five. And then it was a Lane Thomas home run who all of a sudden decided, oh, like, hey, I am actually capable of hitting home runs. He had three in the past week after not having any in the first, like, 30 games of the season. So that made it 7-6. And then it was actually a Luis Garcia double before the inning actually ended. So they were like, oh, let's hit. And then, and then, and then, and then, Kyle Finnegan, which, again, we will talk about the bullpen as a whole here in a little bit. Uh, Kyle Finnegan entered the game. On one pitch, one pitch, literally the first pitch of the inning, gives up a game-tying home run. (laughs) It was just like me saying it out loud doesn't do justice how crazy this game was. And then it was single, walk, sack bunt, intentional walk to load the bases, playing for the double play, which actually, I mean, it's a viable strategy in any game situation, but was super viable for the Nats considering how well they've been able to kind of weaponize the ground into the double play on defense. Like they've turned, um, they kind of flirt with top of the league, but they're kind of top of the NL consistently in double plays turned on defense. So that was a viable option, but in order to turn a double play, you kind of need to throw strikes and Kyle Finnegan didn't do that as he walked in the game winning run. So that was, you know, great. And Sunday, you know, coming off of that really deflating loss. Like, yeah, you want to feel good about the comeback and the, the fact that you were, we were able to come back at all. Uh, it, was, it was still a deflating loss with how the game ended. More of the same, the offense really didn't look good. The Diamondbacks had three home runs through like six innings. Uh, they were really teeing off on Trevor Williams, who uh, they were hitting hard. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. had three home runs in the series. He had two home runs on Sunday, uh, one off Williams and one off Andres Machado, who had been pitching well. So it's just like, oh, well, the Nats are going to get swept. It is what it is. They just don't have the juice after losing in such a heartbreaking fashion on Saturday. They scored two in the fifth, two in the seventh. You're like, oh, you know, there's some fight. Like Ryan alluded to that dog. Like it is a dog, a dog. But you. You know, you wouldn't necessarily say they had that dog in them. Scored one in the eighth. You're like, oh, it's eight five. They could come back, but will they? Yep, <laughs> they they sure did. This time it was Joey Manessis. It was uh, it was actually pretty cool to see because Luis Garcia led off the inning. He's been batting second consistently and having a lot of success up there, which you love to see it. Luis Garcia led off the inning with a single and then turned it into a, a hustle double because. Ironically, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. was playing left and kind of just Cadillaced it with the throw in, and Garcia took advantage, which is a great way to start an inning. And then you get a KB Ruiz single. So you're like, oh, hell yeah, two young guys batting second and third, starting off a rally. 
And then it was Joey Manessas, Hanger, Chase Field, which is where he had his World Baseball Classic success success uh, in March. Uh, so clearly felt right at home. Three-run shot, Nats take the lead. And this time, they were actually able to hold on to the lead because they gave the ball to Hunter Harvey, um, who didn't look as good as he normally does, but, hey, got the job done, and that's all that matters. So they were able to hold on to the win after mounting another comeback nine to eight um, and staving off the sweep at the hands of the diamondbacks. So to expand on that discussion of the nationals being able to come back at all and being that scrappy team. And that word's going to haunt me like probably by the next time we record um, just how much that word is going to be used, but you got to give it to them. They were able to come back multiple times uh, in key situations uh, over the past week, do you have any hope, optimism that we've already established the roster stinks and, and the offense lacks power? But do you have any optimism that this this offense can be like league average? Oh God, no. <laughs> um, abs- absolutely not. So you look at you look at their offensive numbers. 13th in average, 20th in on base, 28th in OPS, 27th in runs, 29th in home runs. No, like it's the Nats are a singles hitting team, but this is not a singles hitting league. This is a launch angle league going for the home run. Singles are back because the shifts are being limited, but the teams are winning are plugging the gaps. They're hitting extra base hits. They're hitting home runs. It's not really anyone on this, on this uh, roster that can provide the power i so that that is a little concerning and talk about league average no i don't i don't think that's possible but they can just be that annoying pain in the the side i don't know how often they're going to do that uh usually with teams that are rebuilding a lot of the reason why the bad teams fall off as the years go on is because the lack of depth the nationals group depth isn't exactly great and everyone's healthy so a lot of times with these younger teams when everyone's healthy you can you kind of get guys who are going to overperform and they slowly but surely start coming back down to earth and that's when they're that's when the wins stop happening it's kind of like college basketball if you ever watch like oh my god this team's going to upset them but then the bad team slowly just fades away and they can't keep up it's because of the depth and things like that. If the Nats had better depth, I would say yes, there was hope for them getting close to league average. Even if they had two power hitters, I would say that their best hitter, Stone Garrett, is going to be sent down when Corey Dickerson comes back. So no, <laughs> that impacts as well. And it's it's a shame because the the bullpen is starting to show a little break. Couple couple layers of that dam is starting to go, so the offense is gonna need to keep being scrappy. Nick's favorite word, and keep chipping away. Not and- mine. It just <laughs> it's been used. Don't don't put that on me. The the offense is gonna have to keep being annoying late in games because this bullpen is starting to bend. And we talk about more about the bullpen in a second. If they're gonna if they're gonna keep winning games and play a little bit better than they're expected, but looking at the roster, don't really see league average. And something that shifted my mind a little bit coming this year is I thought the Nats were going to have to spend big on the rotation when the team was good. But now looking at it, I think that's completely, complete 180. 
they're going to have to spend big on the lineup when they're ready. Yeah, and that, that'll be interesting discussion. It, I mean, you can always play the, oh, who's going to be a free agent in 2025, like conversation, but, you know, it, it's just impossible to, to truly predict because obviously you have to have some pieces in place to figure out what you are going to need. Um, but to your point about this being a singles team, like if you look at a team like the Guardians, like they're not built for power either. But the thing that the Guardians do well that the Nats don't, well, the Guardians do a lot well than the Nats don't, but like they work walks, they work counts, they, you know, have very good situational hitting um, and, you know, find ways to win and, and just are also just a very, very well managed ball club. But like the Nats, <laughs> the Nats are 29th in walks. They have 91 walks in 34 games. The Marlins are the only team below them with 86 walks. Uh, well, they're actually tied with the Phillies, so I guess that's technically 28th if you want to be technical about it, but it's still very, very bad. The other thing, and I don't know if you've ever looked at this, Ryan, but I was just kind of uh, looking up the stats. I, I found one that's ground out to air out ratio. Um, the Nationals are first in that category, which means that they ground out a hell of a lot more than they fly out. So shout out Darnell Coles <laughs> for the uh, launch angle or lack thereof. I mean, this team just puts the ball on the ground nonstop. And the fact that their BABIP is still like relatively okay it is crazy to me. Uh, <laughs> damn it. I was hoping I could hold off that cough. Um, but yeah, uh, like the, this team just... They're scrappy, right? But there's things they could be doing to improve their um, competitive or at least consistency, like working walks, you know, Um, but they're not. There's so much swing at the first pitch, aggressive approaches, which is good if you can hit home runs. Like I think of Ronald Acuna, who typically bats leadoff. And yeah, he's like a a 40-40 threat and you know, can, can steal bases, but he likes to swing at the first pitch because he's a threat to go yard at, at any point. It, it's not necessarily like that's the only way he can get on base, you know, like he struggles later in counts and that might not even be the best example, but like the nationals so often go one pitch one out and it, it drives me insane because they're, thought process versus the actuality versus like the the production or the stats like they just don't match like there's things and approaches they could be doing to kind of make it more cohesive and play to their strengths because they are a good singles hitting team they are like they don't strike out a lot and they can put balls on play like there's things you can do to help that like if you have runners on base that causes the defense to to shift uh, in different ways and, you know, creates a, a little bit more of an opening in certain areas of the field and, and things like that and causes the pitchers to pitch differently and, and, and things like that. But they just don't really care to do that. They, it, I thought it was just Davey, but I, I think it is Darnell Coles too. Like they, they stick to what they think works regardless of what the outcome tells them. And that's the most frustrating part. Like you rarely ever see an adjustment from the Nats in that regard. And sometimes it works. Like sometimes you do get those good performances, like where you get uh, Sunday, for instance, you get 15 hits and you're like, all right, if you get 15 hits in a game more often than not, you're going to win. 
right? But then you get the games where they have like four hits and they they walk zero times. I, I bring this up whenever I see it, but it seems like it happens all the time, you know, at least once every series where the Nats go a complete game without drawing a single walk. And it's not just because they're getting shut down by like a Spencer Strider or anything like that. They just refuse to work counts. And it's just impossible to develop any sort of consistency when you're not working counts and not drawing walks and not extending the the pitcher and, you know, making him labor through innings. Like they're just making life fairly easy for opposing pitching. And that's why you see, you know, seven innings of like one run baseball on the offense. And then all of a sudden they decide to turn it on the ninth, but wouldn't it be so much better if they just like did it throughout the game as opposed to at the very last minute, because more often than not, they run out of time. So it, it, it's frustrating, but I guess at least there's something to, to kind of hang our hat on and be like, yeah, that was cool. The offense doesn't completely suck, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, they kind of do. Um, but the, the, the final part of the puzzle over the last week is the bullpen. And that's kind of been the hot topic uh, amongst Nats fans and kind of the, the discourse, even in the media, like you see some of the beat reporters on Twitter kind of question the uh, decisions for the bullpen. And to a point I was going to make earlier, about the Cubs series leading into the Diamondback series. This is a very a kind of indicative stretch of baseball. The Nationals are playing just because they don't have off days and they had to go from a four game homestand right into a West Coast swing. And that's obviously not easy to do, especially without an off day. But this team doesn't know how to win. Like that's very much apparent. And I'm not even talking about the players. Like the players, I don't think. It's just Robles and Corbin from the World Series winning team. So you can't even say like the Cubs, for instance, they have like five guys that they signed in free agency that all have won a a World Series ring in the past. But like this team doesn't know how to win. But like that should be coming from the manager and the managerial strategy. And they just don't know how to do that. Like Davey Martinez has a predisposed a bullpen and B bullpen. And if they're tied or winning, he'll go to these guys. And if they're losing, then he'll go to these guys. And with the Cubs series unfolding the way it did with all those games being close. And a lot of the nationals games have been close, but the nationals actually found themselves with leads late in the game. In those games, he went to Harvey a lot. He went to Thompson a lot. He went to Finnegan a lot because those are the best arms in your bullpen. So naturally you want them to pitching in games that you have a lead, but that's just not, a viable recipe when it happens over and over and over again. And that kind of goes to my point that this team doesn't know how to win. Like Davey Martinez doesn't know how to operate a winning team. If you know, those, if those games were in losing situations, I'm sure the bullpen management would have looked differently because again, Davey Martinez has predisposed notions, but like you have to be able to rely on other relievers. And that's, I believe Jesse Doherty put out an article that, kind of highlighted that you're going to need to rely on more than just three arms, especially it's a good thing that the nationals are competitive, like in, in these games, but in order to remain competitive and in these games, you're going to need to rely on other pieces of your bullpen. And he just kind of seems averse to doing that. And we've seen kind of the negative effects from that. I'm not going to like bail out Kyle Finnegan completely for Saturday's performance 
and, and say like it, it's Davies fault. He shouldn't be in that situation to begin with like Kyle Finnegan. You just need to throw strikes in that situation. There's no two ways around it, but Mason Thompson hasn't looked right. Like Hunter Harvey has certainly lost his effectiveness. And, you know, again, we saw what Kyle Finnegan did. We've been through this before with Davey, like his kind of head scratching bullpen management. We've been through it plenty of times already this season, but now it's really starting to rear its ugly head. Like I said, because the nationals are actually winning more and using the same guys over and over and over again. And then other guys don't pitch for four games and then they're rusty because, or not four games, but uh, four games off days, whatever. So like five, six days. And then they're rusty because they haven't been pitching regularly. So it's like, it's hard to expect them to be as sharp when they're not getting as much play as some other guys. You've seen the bullpen, which has been like a top 12 to 15 ish ERA in baseball is now dropped to like 23rd. And over the past 10 days or so, it's like 25th or 26th. So the bullpen has really been struggling, but what are your thoughts on the, on the bullpen usage and specifically like the, the guys pitching like very frequently? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of obvious that David does not trust a lot of people in this bullpen. And I kind of feel like the man just has PTSD from 2019, which I don't blame him. Um, And then once he has someone who doesn't stink, he just throws them out there every single day. Looking at the usage, uh, so this is from Tuesday to Thursday. Kyle Finnegan went 20 pitches, 10 pitches, 21 pitches, three days in a row. Hunter Harvey went 21 pitches, 14 pitches, 20 pitches, three days in a row. Carl Edwards went 16 and 15 back-to-back days. That's fine. You have to do that. Kyle Finnegan, after those three days, off on Friday, then he pitched 17 pitches on Saturday, blew a save, got the loss. Looking at the bullpen, they have they have drastically, drastically come down across the board. 23rd ERA, 25th in whip, which is the biggest concern to me. 27th in walks per nine, 28th in K per nine. 22nd in hits per nine, 18th in home runs per nine. You talk about Finnegan. His his whip isn't two. It's 1.95. Um, <laughs> no way. I was joking. <laughs> I had no idea it was that high. It's, That's hilarious. It's it's 1.95. I still think the bullpen is a strength. They do have guys that got pretty good stuff. I like Kyle Finnegan. I don't think – well, no, excuse me. I hate Kyle Finnegan for no reason this year. <laughs> but Kyle Finnegan's not a closer. I think he's shown that. I love Mason Thompson and Hunter Harvey's stuff. I think those two have a lot of potential. The issue is they're not getting a lot of help from the starting rotation. The starting rotation is not going deep in the ballgames. The starting rotation ranks 26th in innings pitch. They're 0.1 innings above the Diamondbacks, so they're essentially 27th in innings pitch. That's that's not good. <laughs> like that does that does not does not help you out. Look at the top of the board, the Rays, Pirates, Red Sox, Yankees. They're getting the most from the starting rotations. They're also getting great – well, the Rays are a cheat code right now, but they're also getting great output from the bullpen. They are being used a lot, but Davey is constantly having to go to these guys over and over again because no one in the starting rotation is going deep in the games. Patrick Corbin, only guy going to the eighth. can't really name many people who have gone into the seventh inning for this. He, here's the only one. Corbin was all, the first one to go into the seventh this inning, but also the eighth inning. This that's season. that's why I thought, but I couldn't I couldn't remember if there was one other. That's that's an issue. 
right? Um, McKenzie Gore, Josiah Gray, they're pitching while they're young. They're both on pitch counts, it looks like, or maybe even an innings limit, which is very smart with McKenzie Gore. Uh, Chad Cole, he had his issues. He wasn't going deep in the games. Patrick Corbin's been having his issues. He hasn't been going deep in the games. Trevor Williams is just a five-inning guy, sometimes a six-inning guy. They need to start going deeper in the games, or this bullpen is going to keep falling apart more than it's starting to, and guys are going to start hitting the IL. I am very critical of Davey. I don't understand a lot of decisions he does. He is very clearly someone when he finds his guys who he trusts, Hunter Harvey and Mason Thompson, he's going to go to them repeatedly, repeatedly. But the reason why he has to go to them so much is because the starting rotation is not helping the bullpen whatsoever right now. Yeah, and, and that's certainly something like you need to talk about when you talk about like the the bullpens and or the bullpen and the bullpen struggles for sure. Like it, it's much easier to have better bullpen management and kind of know what to do when you're getting six, seven innings consistently out of your rotation. But that's kind of also why I say Davey doesn't know how to win because that was the case more often than not in 2019. Like even Annabelle Sanchez was pitching out of his mind, uh, you know, a majority of that season and well, particularly in the playoffs. So it's like, he didn't have to do a lot. Like if you look at the playoffs, he used the three relievers, which you, you can't necessarily compare the playoffs to the full 162, but you get what I'm saying? Like he didn't have to do a lot in terms of bullpen management. Like he finds his guys, like you said, and just uses them over and over and over again. But you can't do that one when you're a rebuilding team and, you know, just aren't going to win many games. Like you have to kind of figure out what you have and use guys in different situations. Um, and two, like you, you can't do that over and over and over again for a full 162 like they're just not going to be able to withstand that and hunter arby in particular like with his injury history you're like if he goes down like god forbid this bullpen is screwed it like it, it was holding on by a thread for a while now and if the the pitching doesn't really figure it out on a consistent basis like you're going to tax the bullpen and they are going to break like absolutely like floodgates open. You, you kind of seen the signs already. And uh, you know, Trey was on last week and he's a big Thaddeus Ward fan. I'm not like a, a Thaddeus Ward hater by any means, but you know, he went out there yesterday, I think. Um, yeah. I think it was Sunday's game against the Dimebacks. He didn't record an out and walked four batters. Like, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say, Thaddeus Ward won't be viable for the Nets in the future or anything like that, but I'm just using it as an example to show like how thin the, this bullpen really is. Like we want them to be good. And I agree with you. Like they are a strength, but one guy goes down and like, you know, the, the image shatters and this bullpen can really, really struggle. And then all of a sudden we're looking at like a uh, nationals pitching as a whole, similar to last year where it was just the worst in baseball. Like we, it was kind of a unwatchable product because of how bad the pitching was. I'm certainly hoping it doesn't get to that. And I don't think it will be as bad, but uh, you know, we, we need better performances from the starters, but also better usage and more consistent, you know, 
play uh, when the manager is calling the shots. So that's kind of the situation the Nationals find themselves in. But hopefully, you know, the, the pitchers go deep in the games and kind of make things simple uh, on the bullpen side. It's funny, we were just talking about the offense. The Nationals have started tonight's game against the Giants with four straight hits. So clearly they're uh, they're listening to us <laughs> and uh, taking it personally. So before we jump into the, the final... Four uh, hits and only one run. <laughs> well, yeah, that that's, uh, that sounds about right. Oh, no, Don Smith had an RBI. Um, yeah, so before we get into the latter portion of today's episode we are going to pause and get a word from our sponsors say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. We are back. And we're just going to do a, a quick little preview of the Giant Series. Um, with, like I said, no days off or off scheduled off days for the Nationals. In uh, us only doing one episode a week, it kind of helps to to preview the, the series a little bit. And like I mentioned before we went to break, the Nationals are kicking off their series in San Francisco tonight. And so far, so good through, you know, the top of the first. The Nats had five hits in the, the first inning, including a uh, Joey Manessas and Dom Smith uh, RBI single. But it started off with singles from <laughs> singles hitting team, singles from Lane Thomas, Luis Garcia and K. Barrett Ruiz. Um, they're also doing it off Anthony DiScalfani, who has pitched well against them in the past. I think it was just last year. He went like seven shutout against us and came into today with like an ERI slightly above two. He was enjoying a pretty uh, pretty good start to the season. Oh, look, now Alex Call has uh, joined the RBI party, so the Nats offense is <laughs> really uh, making us look bad here. But just kind of uh, your... Um, thoughts entering the Giants series in just kind of this West Coast win in particular because they looked bad if you're going inning by inning they had much more bad innings than good innings in the Diamondback series granted the good innings were loud innings but they had much more bad than good um, like on a per inning basis in the Diamondback series what are your thoughts for the Giants series before they finally have an off day on Thursday and return home for a weekend series against the Mets yeah, the Giants stink. Uh, this is a they're they're just they're not a good baseball team. And it's a get right um, series for the Nats, you're saying. Or it needs to be. I mean, yeah, get get right, sure. <laughs> they're 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 not good, right? Like the, the Giants are not good. I'm just happy they're not because I have correctly pointed out that they're frauds and they've been 
frauds ever since that one fluky year when they were good. They're just, they're not good. The lineup struggling, the starting rotation doesn't move me. Um, like, I just, you look at this, I don't care. Anthony DiSofani, I don't care about you. You're not good. Logan Webb, you should be good, but you're not. Shamanaya, you have an eight ERA, not moved by you. It should be. All right. Like, this is a series they should be able to take two or three from. Will they? Probably not. They start off the game with, I don't know how many straight singles in a row. Dom Smith, RBI single, four. Brown ball through the infield. All they do. Pat Dom Smith can't stand them. Don't want to see him anymore. But no, this is a series they should win two or three of. Like I said, the Giants are not good. The roster is not good. They have starting rotation that looks good on paper. I'm not a fan of. Bullpen is mat. Lineup isn't good. This should be actually kind of evenly matched. So it'll be fun to watch because usually whenever I'm like, all right, this should be a fine series. Nats find a way recently to not play well. So we'll see how things turn out for this. But this should be this should be a, a better series. CJ Abrams just had a two RBI single as well. Um, so the Nats are hitting. It, it, singles team. I mean, Alex Call had an RBI double. Um, <laughs> this the Nats are hitting. It's also infuriating uh because the lineup construction i you know i will still like die on the hill that it just didn't make sense but then all of a sudden like everyone in the lineup starts hitting and it's just makes me look stupid uh but the, the lineup construction is still bad um the last point or not point but the thing i wanted to talk to you about that we didn't really touch on because like his games were not like boring by any means I guess he only pitched once in the past week, and that was the first game against uh, the Diamondbacks with Josiah Gray. Um, he's been like a, a model of consistency for us basically the entire year. If you want to exclude the uh, Braves series or Braves game, that's fine. His first start of the year, he's been a model of consistency. Even in Arizona, like he didn't have his best stuff, but still battled, still gave us uh, five innings three runs, seven hits. He gave up his first home run in about a month. So like that just goes to show how, how consistent he's been um, for us. He's pitching Wednesday. So in the final game against San Francisco thoughts. Oh, not thoughts, but like expectations for Josiah Gray. Like, cause I know you are a fan. I'm, I'm not saying you're not, but you kind of see the, like the FIP and the kind of advanced stats to, to say like, Hey, Gray's doing good, but it might not be sustainable. Do you think that shoe's going to drop or can, is this something like gray can kind of continue like around a three year, three ERA? Yeah. Great. Gray, gray is still, like I said, the last time we talked to him, he's had defense that's just been, don't break. They'll give up 350 passing yards to the quarterback. And like 400 <laughs> yards of offense, but somehow only gave up 18 points because they gave up eight field goals because in the red zone every time, I'm sorry, six field goals, every time in the red zone, they found the way to stop it. I don't think it's sustainable, no, to answer your question, but it is a good run right now that we should all enjoy. He should be able to continue it against the Giants because this offense does not move me. There is some good news. His barrel percentage is down. But a lot of his other peripherals are not very good. He is slowly phasing out the fastball, which is good. Good for him, but not good. We want success. 
oh yes pitcher, so yeah yeah i just mean so like it's... using it less it has been a good thing for him yes because his fastball a little poopy <laughs> and that will get him in a tr- in trouble eventually but he should like i said continue this hot streak with the giants this is a favorable matchup for him as bob Cochran keeps saying this team is scrappy he is pitching well Recently, even when he hasn't even had his best stuff, he's gone out there and fought, given up like three or four runs, and it's rather, rather promising and honestly kind of exciting that this team has a couple young pitchers where you're like, man, they did not pitch well today. And you check the scorebook, they gave up like four runs over six innings. That's solid. Very, You'll take it. Very, very refreshing considering that Eric Fetty was his team's best pitching prospect, and the good start for him was three innings and five runs. So that's very, very solid. And he should continue it. I think he will for the next couple starts. June's going to be a test because that June lineup, I mean, the June schedule is rather, rather interesting. Yeah, I have it in, I have it in front of me. Uh, well, they play in LA to to finish May, and then it goes Philly or home versus Philly, home versus Arizona, at Atlanta, at Houston, uh, home against Miami, uh, home against the Cardinals, and then at the Padres and at Seattle, and then at Philly. Yeah, it's fun, it's fun stuff. <laughs> it's 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 not fun. Um, there's there's a lot of a lot of playoff teams on that roster. That'll be the ultimate test for him. But what he's doing right now is just absolutely incredible for his confidence, especially after how bad things went for him last year. So I'm very very excited to see that he's doing well. Yep, agreed. Um, so it'll be kind of a a fun well hopefully fun certainly a good start with uh, five runs in the first inning in the the Giants series, but uh. You know, in the Met series, that's uh, a four game set. I've never seen a four game set go Friday to Monday. That's interesting to me. Usually it goes Thursday to Sunday, but a four game set against the Mets. And we will see Max, Scherzer, both Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander in that series. Uh, Monday's game, again, weird that the four game set goes to Monday, but Monday's game is Patrick Corbin versus Justin Verlander. Um, and then Saturday, or Sun, or Scott, Sunday's game. Jake Irvin, if assuming he's still in the uh, rotation by then, eh, against Max Scherzer, so you don't get the the Gore Gray Scherzer Verlander matchups that we would have liked to see, but we'll see if we can't take uh, a series from the Mets again. So you get seven games over the next week by the time we record again. Record prediction for the Nats in those seven games, assuming I mean. I guess we can see what the bullpen does tonight, but it seems like they might have a, a win tonight. Uh, I say they win two of three against the Giants. So what gets them to 16 and 21? Yep. And then the Mets stink. They'll sweep the Mets. They won't, <laughs> but the Mets, the Mets stink. Uh, just with the Nats luck, the Nats luck, like they'll go against the Mets, who will be reeling. And then Max Scherzer will be prime Max. Verlander will be good again. And things will just be absolutely miserable for that weekend. The Mets are reeling right now. Like, I I would love to see the Nats take three or four, like convincingly. That, that would be, be so. That would be so funny. funny. And with Gray, like arguably our best pitcher, not pitching in that series to still take three or four would be hilarious. Nats just turned do- another double play. Like they are godly. Uh, apparently we just need to talk about how bad they are, and then uh, they do well. Um. So yeah. So you're saying what? Five and two in their next seven. Yeah, let's ride it. 
<laughs> I'll go four and three because I'm a coward. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's more just I'm trying to manifest that the Mets keep struggling because I want more keeping up with the Mets. That would be uh, that would be fun. All right, final final little segment. I wanted to do it with you last week, but I did it with Trey. So I will do it with you too, so that way you get in on the action. We're gonna play a little over under with uh some of the nationals but also some of the um nationals players but also with with some like playoff team or current playoff teams and and things like that you ready let's ride okay so he did just go on the injured list we didn't talk about that probably should mention it victor robles out uh for the next at least the next 10 days with back spasms he slid into second base kind of awkwardly we thought it was his hand it came out as back spasms so that's kind of interesting something to keep an eye on the team called up jake alou uh, in his place kind of an interesting choice but uh we'll, we'll see if jake alou sees any sort of playing time whatsoever he's kind of a utility man um second third base mainly but i guess can play some outfield i'm not exactly sure how much uh run he has playing anywhere in the outfield but you would assume alex call is going to be in for a lot of playing time as he takes over center field in robles's absence but victor robles he has eight stolen bases so far this year honestly has been very solid this year he's been very hot then very cold and has kind of middled right now um 388 on base percentage is absurd. I didn't think Victor Robles could ever get that high, even if it was the first game of the season. But eight stolen bases so far this year. Assuming he comes back as soon as possible, you know, once his 10 days are up on the injured list. Victor Robles over under 21 and a half stolen bases. Uh, I say under this team doesn't run, and I feel like Robles is about to be out for the next like month plus. Yeah, that that would be the Nationals luck. So eight through thirty games. So we'll call it one fifty. Um, just so it's either. So, I mean, he's on pace for. Hold on, math. I want to make sure my math is right. He's on pace for forty steals right now. So you're saying t- under twenty one and a half for Victor Robles? Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, maybe he just cools off. That that would be. Pretty fitting, honestly. All right, we're going to go to Lane Thomas next. Over, under, 12 and a half home runs for Lane Thomas. Knowing he's streaky, he had three in the last week. Do you, I mean, he's going to stay on the team the entire season. Like, what, I, I think we're uh, just kind of going to need to expect that. But over, under, 12 and a half home runs for Lane Thomas. Uh, over, but it'll be like 14 on the air. 14. Yeah. And he'll have like 14 in a week <laughs> and that that's, that's how he'll get there. Um, all right. We're going to go to who's my next one. Oh, Luis Garcia, Luis Garcia. He has 16 RBIs right now through, I think he has like 30 games played. I think tonight might be his 30th. Um, so 16 RBIs. So he's on pace for roughly 80 or so. So we're going to put the line. At 81 and a half RBIs for Luis Garcia this season. I mean, uh, he's likely to stay in the top third of the lineup, but 81 and a half RBIs for Luis Garcia. Um, I'm going under just because I don't think enough people are going to be getting on for him. <laughs> I'm noticing a theme here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. CJ Abrams. 
This one's a little bit of a different question. Well, I mean, it's all over under CJ Abrams, certainly better as of late average up to 250 had a RBI two RBI single tonight uh, over his current OPS for reference is a 687. We're going to say over under a 710. I guess it's a 710.5 OPS for CJ Abrams. Um, it's <laughs> tough. Um, wow, that's really tough. I want to say I want to say under just because I don't think he's sl- he slugs enough to get that up. But yeah, because I can see him being like a 704, 705 OPS kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, so just if it's 700, I'll honestly be fine. It's just, 600 looks so like bad, like unesthetic that. Like, I just hate it. But if it was 700, I'm like, oh, he was fine. No big deal. Um, All right. Cabe Ruiz. Again, a little bit of a different question. He has only 11 strikeouts through 114 plate appearances. Or sorry, at-bats this year. Only 11 strikeouts. We're going to put his over under at 61 and a half strikeouts on the year. Sorry, who who is this for? I didn't hear the name. Cabe Ruiz. Um, God, I want that to be over so badly. He needs to strike out more. Oh, yeah, I but, forgot. I was like, wait, what? I forgot yeah. your argument for him, like, swinging less so that way he can get pitches to hit, but also that would mean striking out more. I see what you're yes. going. This, this entire team needs to strike out more. They do not strike out enough. That's why they don't hit ground balls. That's a different argument for a different day. Um, So I'm going to say over just because I'll be very happy if it does hit over. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to some pitching ones. Mackenzie Gore, three wins on the season. We're going to say over, under, 11 and a half wins for Mackenzie Gore in the season. Um, Under, easy under. Yeah, it's probably a little bit too high. So Josiah Gray, he has two wins to five losses because he gets zero run support. So the fact that he already has five, Josiah Gray, over, under, 12 and a half losses. Over. You think? Oh yeah, easily over, <laughs> over for sure. He's already he's already at five. Um, the offense is a little poo poo, so he's true. he's gonna keep running in some bad luck there. This is true. I had a good one last week. I'm gonna reuse it for uh, everyone that's uh, at home. If you listen to last week, I apologize. I'm gonna reuse reuse it. I'm gonna stick with Josiah Gray. Last year, oh boy, let me uh, pull it up so I'm not talking out of my ass here. 2022, he had 148 innings pitched. So this year, Josiah Gray over under 169.5 innings pitched. Um, that's actually kind of funny because I was already thinking, I was like, I, I can see them like tapping him at one 175. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say over on that. I honestly think he will get there. Because yeah. even, well, things could drastically change, but even his bad starts, he's shown the ability to at least go five innings. And I think he's on pace to go 180 innings right now. So, yeah, I, I, I think I think that's a good, that's a good clean number for, yeah. for your boy. Yeah. All right. That does it for our over under segment. Just want to get Ryan's thoughts on uh, some things going around uh, with this Nationals team who currently have a 5-0 lead over the Giants, which... I'm sure everyone expected after the past couple of days. 
All right. So that does it for this episode. Ron, you got any final thoughts? Any uh, one big thing you want to get off your chest before you head out? Um, Dante stinks. Tired of the coaching staff. Um, Luis Garcia, the truth. Josiah Gray, must watch TV. Mackenzie Gore, you're amazing. I love you. Keeper, <laughs> strike out more. Um, yeah, that's it. Let's uh, let's go sweep the Mets. <laughs> sweep the Mets. That that would be amazing. I got nothing. Uh, it was a good episode. Great job, buddy. All right, that does it for this episode. We will be back next week. Again, uh, if you interact, follow Amanda on Twitter. Send her some good thoughts, some good vibes. Um, she'll be back when she's ready. But she's, you know, got some stuff going on right now. Amanda, miss you, thinking about you. Um, and obviously, you provide a much uh, calmer and level-headed <laughs> approach to this podcast. But, hey, we're surviving. We're surviving. And uh, your seat's here for when you get back. All right, that does it for this episode. Be sure to follow everyone on Twitter. You can follow Ryan at We Are All Shack, myself at the Coach Moose. Uh, follow the show at Half Street High Heat. Check out District on Deck for daily Nationals content. Check out HalfStreetHighHeat.com for uh, some Nationals content and apparently some trashy content <laughs> as well. Uh, but that does it for this episode. We will be back next week. And in the meantime, let's go Nats. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. By the early light of dawn, well, you can see they're running scared. Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air. Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look. Cause we're putting curly W's in every book. Let's go.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.